Thank you, Father, for the truths of those songs, for being the one who allowed your Son to come down and be a part of our lives. How difficult it must have been for you to see him suffer and die on our behalf. It was a silent night that night, but a joyful day three days later when up from the grave you arose. He is risen, risen indeed. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Tina and team. Really appreciate that very, very much. And, uh, it's really a good thing to sing Christmas songs in July, isn't it? My goodness, we, we need to do that more often. Those songs have such, such truths in them that we need to be reminded of and be a part of our lives. So, uh, all right. I love you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, uh all right, so we're going to finish Ruth today. I guarantee you we're going to get through the end of it. So uh, we'll be glad for that. And then um, next week, uh, Don Worthington will be preaching, and he'll be in Jer uh, Genesis chapter 35. And uh, so read that. Um, that'll be a good thing. Don, you can ask them next week if they read that passage, all right, since we've been doing that. So uh, take the time to do that. I'll be on vacation from next Friday until the next Saturday. That's the 5th through the 13th. Bill Carson will be preaching on the 14th. And I uh, look forward to um, what God has for him as he shares together with us. And then Doug Lowry from Colorado Baptist will be with us on the 21st as we have the Wills and Trust Seminar. We have 21 families signed up for that so far. If you want to be a part of that, sign up there at the Connection Hub. Put it down on the Connection Card. And um, we're putting that all together uh, even this week. So, um, had a great time uh, studying this week. There is so much to be able to share together with you. Um, the next picture will try to explain to you what it's like for a pastor. So go ahead and there we go. Actual photo of your pastor trying to cram all the wonderful biblical insight from his studies into a 30-minute sermon. <laughs> That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like today, especially. Of course, I'm going to go 38 or 40 minutes, okay? So i got plenty more time to get all those things in there. But uh, it is just amazing what you can discover. So um, I took a picture of this book for you. Uh, this is a commentary, uh, Book of Ruth, by Robert L. Hubbard, Jr. Um, if you get the next one there, Garrett. Uh, he was one of my professors at Denver Seminary. Um, I took this class during the summer as I was finishing up my studies. Uh, I think it was an, an evening class. 6 to 9.30 or something like that. You can't see it very well. I'm sorry it didn't come out very well, but on the left there you'll see that's page 285. Four chapters. 285 pages. This is a really good commentary. It is scholarly, and there must be 12 footnotes on every page from German people, you know, from Hebrew people, uh, but it's written fun. I mean, he, he's writing this like he was telling this story to us, like he was preaching it. Um, and it's just amazing to me how somebody can actually do all that work. <laughs> I mean, how long would it take you to write 285 pages and also to look at all those footnotes and to go through and to, to examine them, make determinations about that? Um, 
But I just want you to know that, that four chapters can take 285 pages, and we've only taken about seven weeks or something like that, right? So we've survived well. But this was really fun to go back through and read. I read the last 30 pages last night, and I just had a great time going through that. So uh, it's a true story, right? Oh, okay, I forgot to ask. How did your last week of Read Through Ruth go? Yeah, some people? Okay, good. So let me ask this question. How many of you did it every week while we were going through it? One, two, three, four, five. Buddy over here? Six, seven. This is the time to cheer yourself on, okay? This is all right. There's nothing wrong with this. You're going to get a star. I'll give you a star when you go out and you put it on your forehead a gold one, right? Thank you. I hope that you were blessed. I was. Oh, I raised my hand because I did it too, okay? <laughs> Practice what you preach. Find something to grab onto. Read Jer Je why did I say Jeremiah. Read Genesis 35 this week, right, Don? Genesis 35 this week. You could even read it every day. Saturate yourself in it. As you look at the story, it will help you to be ready to go. So thank you for taking on that project. And we look forward to what God's going to do in your life as you go back through. And I feel like if, if you get bored only reading one chapter, you could read Ruth again. It'll be fine to do that. Go back through it. It is amazing what you discover when you go back through it again. Just doing it for myself. Every time I read it, it's like, oh, never saw that. But it is a true story of goodness, grief, of grace, and God's guidance, very definitely. And we're grateful for that. So the plot, the plot line again. Remember, we've been through it. I've given it to you as I put it together for us. A need brings a move. A move brings deaths. Deaths bring a move. The move brings help. The help brings marriage. The marriage brings a child. The child brings a king, and the king brings Jesus. I got pretty close to having that done in my mind all the way through, right? That's the plot line again as we've gone through. And now here we are at the end of the book of Ruth, verses 13 through 22. You have it open there, your Bible, your tablet, your phone. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and she laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Perez fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. And Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse Father David. Happy day number one. Happy day number one is chapter three. You remember, as I gave to you, that as Boaz is crafting this deal, 
that when the Redeemer, the first Redeemer, the first kinsman Redeemer says, I cannot take her, I cannot, in, I cannot do the redemption, this will not work for me, I'll lose my her inheritance, that you remember I said to you, here's what Boaz is feeling inside. <laughs> yeah, I'll take her. <laughs> Who cares about the land? I just want Ruth. That's what he's feeling. Happy day number one that this gets communicated. And the women, they give their blessing. Remember, you remember the women when they first came back, Naomi and Ruth first came back, they're saying, is this Naomi? And Naomi says, hey, man, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mata. Call me, call me bitter. Life has been tough and it's been really, really hard. And now they're rejoicing with her. Yes, this is exciting. You have a husband now. You've lost the husband, but now you have a husband once again. It's an exciting time for them. It's a very happy day. Happy day number two occurs in chapter four when it says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. A marriage takes place. He makes a commitment and he marries Ruth. Then they have a God-designed sexual relationship. Note carefully that they follow God's order that will bring his blessing, marriage, then sex. They do what is biblically correct. They don't try things out by living together, which statistics tell us do not help, but actually hurt the chances of a successful marriage. They obey one of the first commands in the Bible found in Genesis 2.24, but it's also quoted by Jesus in Matthew 19.5 and it's quoted by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and they shall hold fast to one another and the two shall become one flesh. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally, they become together. They come together as God brings them together and they become one flesh. I've given it to you this way many times. One man, one woman, one life, one lifetime. That's God's best. That's God's design for us. And in our world that we live in, you know as well as I do, that people are violating that all over the place. It's one man, one woman. That's God's design. He doesn't have any other design toward that. I know what the world says. I know what they're pushing. That is not God's design. God's design is what He put together. God's design is that we would refrain from intimacy until the time comes that we are married. We've put ourselves together. That's God's best. And if we don't do God's best, we can't get His blessing. I put it this way. A marriage arranged by God, intimacy designed by God, a child blessed by God. Another happy day in verse 13. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now we know it takes a man and a woman to make a baby. We understand that. But that baby doesn't happen unless the Lord brings it about. That's why life in the womb is so important. Because God brought about that life. That's God's work to be able to do that. His good work. 
And in this case, God was kind, and that was what he had for Boaz and for Ruth, is to bless them with a child. That was what he had for them. And in there, that's a happy day number three for them. As they go through, happy day number one is Boaz getting to be the kinsman redeemer. The second is the marriage, and now the baby that comes along as God's favor is given to them. And in that, it says the women, the woman, offer their blessing to Naomi, not Ruth. Just seems kind of weird to me. Who was the lady that just went through all that labor to have that baby? It was Ruth, and yet the women. Bless Naomi. They don't bless Ruth. They bless Naomi for this. You probably notice as you go through, as I was reading through again last night, you probably notice all the blessings that are there. I've listed them out for you as we go through. In, in chapter 2, verse 4, the, the Lord bless you. In 2.19, blessed be the man who noticed you, Naomi to Ruth. Naomi to Ruth again, may he be blessed by the Lord when you found out that it was Boaz. In 3.10, may you be blessed by the Lord. The woman say to Ruth and to Boaz, may you be blessed by the Lord. And here in 4.14, so we got one, two, three, four, five, five times blessings are given in this book. Those are the things that, that you look for when you read through Scripture. What are the repeated things? What is this author trying to communicate? Why does he keep saying blessing, 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 blessing? He's communicating as he writes. This is important. Those are the things you circle. Those are the things you square. Those are things you draw lines from as you're looking in your Bible. It's fine to draw lines in your Bible, okay? <laughs> Just go for it. Make all sorts of notes for yourself. It's totally fine. And when that Bible wears out, you just get another one to start circling and putting lines in, right? How important it is, these blessings that come in the midst of this. this it's interesting because there wasn't a blessing when Naomi first came back, right? She was empty. But now these blessings start to build upon themselves as God does His work as He guides them through this journey. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day. What, what do they say as the women do? He's not left you this day without a Redeemer. You have a Redeemer now, Naomi. Boaz is the kinsman Redeemer for Ruth, but now this baby, Obed, is a Redeemer for Naomi because he's now a rightful heir for her. He's the one who can take care of her in her old age as the Redeemer would do. May his name be renowned in Israel. May it be big. This is the second time this word renowned in 411. May Boaz be renowned in Bethlehem. Again, a repeated word tells us things that are important to them and valuable to them. His name would be famous in a good way. Maybe even that wealth would come to him, prosperity would come to him as he has done this and will do this for the Lord. He shall be a restorer of life for Naomi. Naomi's husband is dead. Naomi's sons, Malon and Chilion, are dead. Life has been difficult for her, but now this grandson comes, Obed, in a sense, comes, and he's a restorer of life. He puts hope in her, joy in her, excitement into her life 
for her and all that she has been through before this time. There was no hope of her line continuing, her family line, Elimelech's line continuing, because there was nobody left. And now there is somebody, there's a redeemer for her to be a part of her life. She has hope again. Go on. You shall be a, he shall be a nourisher of your old age. Anybody got any old age going on around here? <laughs> uh, we know a little bit about that, don't we? Uh, even if you're in your 30s, you can start learning about old age, okay? Some of you young people are complaining about your foot hurting and everything else. Well, wait till you get to 40, and then you get to 50, and then you get to 60. The other side starts hurting too. <laughs> A nourisher of your old age. I mean, we need that as we go through. The things that are before us, the difficulties that are here, we need that. And, and this son, this Obed, this one is going to be the one who's going to nourish her, strengthen her, replenish her as she goes through the rest of her life. We need that, man. We need that so much. And then the author goes on to say, for your daughter-in-law who loves you. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful statement here. For your daughter-in-law who loves you. And Ruth has been that to Naomi. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. May this be the commitment to you that I'll stay with you unless death would separate us. And she has been that. This daughter-in-law who loves you. Who is more to you than seven sons. Seven is that that beautiful number in Scripture, that, that God's number, that number of completion. And for the Jewish people of that day, man, seven sons would be the epitome of a family. That would be the high point of the family, that you would have seven sons because of the importance of that number seven in their Jewish life. The blessing of God, saying the blessing. She's, she's more important to you than seven sons, and this one is going to fulfill what you've needed before. And then happy day number four, verse 16. Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Lots of different interpretations of what this meant in this, this nurse, uh, not necessarily as a, 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 a mom who would nurse her children. She's probably past that age to be able to do that. But it communicates this kind of as one author said, kind of a, a foster mother. She's, she sees this so important, so valuable to her that, that she's going to become a, 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 a very, very, very important part of his life. It's not going to be, well, you know, when I get to see him, it's going to be, I'll probably be seeing him every day. <laughs> and in their culture, in their day, a thousand people in Bethlehem, that would have just made a lot of sense. Now, Ruth has moved from Naomi's house. Now she's married now. Now she's moved into Boaz's house. Okay? But still, Naomi is going to play a very important part in the life of Obed. Some would say this even could be a picture of adoption. Most scholars don't pick up on that. Some do, but most say it's more in a foster mother, a, a great care and being around him all the time. And I can tell you this, Naomi was big time excited to have a grandson, an heir, so let the spoiling begin. <laughs> let the spoiling begin. Happy day number four for them. Big time involved. 
their life. Kind of interesting. Um, after verse 13, Ruth disappears. We don't hear from Ruth again. Her name's not even mentioned. Daughter-in-law, but she kind of disappears. It's interesting, as I was reading one author, he said, really, this book is about Naomi more than Ruth. <laughs> and she's the key figure all the way through this book. They, they named it, this author named it, or this, this Hebrew scribes named it the book of Ruth, but really it's about Naomi. The whole part is about Naomi. Naomi's the one who loses her sons and her husband. Naomi's the one who comes back empty. Naomi's the one who, who plans for Ruth to go and to visit Boaz at the threshing floor. Naomi's the one that, that gets the blessing that comes for Obed's birth through Ruth. And Ruth just kind of disappears after verse 13 in chapter 4. Notice the women in the neighborhood, it says, gave him a name, saying a son has been born to Ruth. Now, that's not what it says. That son has been born to Naomi. <laughs> Again, Ruth who? Who? <laughs> Was she even been, she even been involved in this? You see the excitement of this, how important this is, because now Elimelech's line through Naomi is now being communicated. It's now being expanded, and it's being renewed because there wasn't any hope for her and her family line to go forward. Now, think about the names here. The names that are found here. Obed means worshiper or servant of God. I'm guessing that Naomi, in chapter 4, I'm guessing that more than likely she probably is willing to be called Naomi again. Pleasant. Remember when she came back, she said, Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Bitter. Now I'm sure that she's kind of got that name out of the way now. And now she's back to, yep, I'm Naomi. Call me Naomi now. Call me Naomi. Man, I came back empty and now I am full. What's my name? Naomi, right? And Boaz, swiftness. He got to business. When it's time to get to it, does and becomes the kinsman redeemer, takes her, marries her, produces a child through God's direction and kindness. And he's a man who took things on and got things going. And then there's Ruth. Faithful. Faithful. All the way through. I will stick with you, Naomi, through thick and thin. I will stick with you. Boaz, I'm even going to be so bold as to propose to you at the threshing floor. And I'll stick with you. And here, it says of her that her love for Naomi was more valuable than seven sons. That's how we need to be. Faithful like Ruth was to her family. And so with the birth and the birth announcement of Obed, the sun sets on the happy days in verse 17. 
leaving us with something very important to consider in verses 18 through 23, the enduring legacy. Now, you know, when you're reading the Bible, I remember being a young young teenager and reading through my Bible and, you know, sometimes in Chronicles, sometimes in Numbers, sometimes Matthew 1, it's just like, can be long and laborious to read through those genealogies. I know you've never faced that. I know it's never been an issue. You just skip through the first 10 chapters of Chronicles, right? Okay? Yeah, you know, we'll get through that. Daily Bible reading, right? They can be long and laborious, but this is why they're important, because they tell a story. They tell a story. We, not, we may not be able to read all those names. We may not even be able to pronounce all those names. We read them like we read this passage in our t- Thursday morning Bible study, and we sometimes just go, and da da ba da da ba da ba Just like you do, okay? You're glad you're not having a Benadab, okay? All right, that's how it is, all right? It, it's hard to get all those names, all right? Sometimes they, but they tell a story. This is really, really important. It's on the story of these families. Now, there's something else about the genealogy that are given, given here in, in this. Sometimes they don't include everybody that's in the family line. They just choose not to do that. They, it would be like, okay, Scott is the father of Chaz, and then that's good enough for them to know that another 100 years or 200 years, they can pick up somewhere else in the family line. Because they assume that this is taking place. It doesn't mean that they missed something or they didn't do their homework. They just chose under the direction of the Holy Spirit not to include every man's name in there or even women, as there's four women mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 in the, in the, uh, there in the genealogy of Jesus. So don't, don't look at it and, and get, get upset when you look at it because you're going to notice that sometimes there are names that are missing and that's fine. That's what God designed. He's all right with that before us. Now, this genealogy, if you counted, you would have counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten names in this short genealogy. Now, this author who obviously wrote this book probably about 300 years after this story took place. I told you that in the first sermon. That the writing of it takes place probably about 300 years after the story took place. You know why I know that? Because you can't write a genealogy before the story. You can't write a genealogy before the story. Because some of these people came after the story. David came after the story. How was the guy going to know that? I mean, prophets are good, but not that good, all right? So it has to be written after the story took place, probably about 300 years, because it mentions David, and David is about 300 years after the judges when Ruth took place. Don't let that throw you off. That's God's good work of being able to let stories pass on through their culture, through oral tradition in some writing. And God brings that up so that we could read all about it as we go through the book of Ruth. This author wants us to know 
that Obed was the grandfather of arguably the most important person in Jewish history, King David. He wants us to know that. He says it here in verse 17. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What does he say in verse 22? Repeat it. Let me get this across to you. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. He wants us to know that fact. It is very, very important. Obed's is an important birth, birthed out of the Lord's divine plan. A need brings a move. A move brings death. Deaths bring a move. Out of the move brings help. The help brings marriage. Marriage brings a child. And the child brings a king. And through the king comes Jesus. I think you've heard that before, haven't you? The flat line. All of that. So how do we move from, from Obed and Ruth, Boaz and Ruth, how do we move from David to a king? Well, that takes us to Matthew chapter 1. You want to turn over there? Keep your finger back there or put your bookmarks back here as I'm doing right now so I can find it. Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy that's given here. Chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so this author, Matthew, starts right here and starts with Abraham. And he has some of the things that we've just read. In verse 3, we read about Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. We read about that. And then Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Abibidibu, and Abibidibu, the father of Nashon. It's Aminadab, okay, I can pronounce it. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, a lady's mentioned here, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, another lady is mentioned here, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. Did we see that anywhere else? <laughs> Ruth chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. A story is being told and it's being communicated right here for us. We go from Ruth and we understand what Matthew's doing. He's picking up on that. He might have even looked at what was there in Ruth. Maybe he had a copy of that. They didn't have many, but, but he knew that. And so he implants it right here as we look at this story that is developed and the genealogy that's before us. And Matthew is going to spend the next 28 chapters telling us that Jesus is the King, the Messiah, the Christ. Because what does it say in verse 16 of chapter 1? And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. That's the book of Matthew. That's the theme of Matthew. M Matthew, under the Spirit's inspiration, in the Spirit's guidance, is going to tell us that Jesus Christ is the King, the Messiah, the one that was promised. That's his theme all the way through the book. And he states it right here in verse 16. And then he's going to take the rest of the book and he's going to prove that. So that the people would know, the Jewish people would know that Jesus Christ is the one who is promised to the Jewish people and to the world. Luke 3. You want to turn over there? Another genealogy as Luke records it. This man who 
talked. He said, I talked to eyewitnesses. I did my research. This physician who did his work to write this book and to make sure it, it was accurate. It says in verse 23 of Luke chapter 3, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. Well, he wasn't. He was the, Joseph, obviously, the father, not biologically, but family-wise for him. And it goes through and it has all these people and he goes, he goes backwards. Matthew goes forward from Abraham to Jesus. Here, Luke goes from Jesus backwards. And you see where he gets down to verse uh, 20, 20, 30, 32 or 31. The son of Melia, the son of Manah, the son of Mathana, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah or Solomon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of the son of Idmin, the son of and it goes on through that. Perez, Hirhezron, Perez, the son of Judah, I'm getting all mixed up now, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac. He goes back through that. He's telling a story. A valuable, valuable story of the heritage of all that God has done. And so he takes us, as we look at it, we can go from Ruth and Obed and Boaz and we can go to Christ as we connect these genealogies together. All right, let's wrap it up. Got 90 more minutes. I got a lot to cram in that car. <laughs> Somebody sent me that, that picture uh, this last week and I thought it was good. Just, that's, that's what you feel like. Garrett, you're so sharp. Thank you, brother. Good job. Let's, let's wrap it up here. And they've got about 20 minutes or so. Um, these things that come to me, I could just call them Scott's thoughts. I thought that was kind of rhyming a little bit. I thought that's pretty good. We talked about it's a story of grief. And it reminds you this. Grief is hard, but the Lord will help. Grief is hard to go through, but the Lord will help you journey through it. In that first sermon, that second sermon on June 19th, I said this, death stings, and it does. Death leaves us with grief, and it does. Death leaves us with decisions, and death can leave us with growth. If we allow God to work in our lives as we go through grief, we're going to grow because God wants to use everything that happens to us to help us to grow. God can use those hard things to help us become more like Jesus. God can use those hard things to help us help others to become more like Jesus. We can grow through those times and will grow if we allow Him I learned this verse many, many years ago, I think, in Bible college. It was at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. From Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, maybe not immediately, of course. But through time, as we allow the Lord to help us, as we allow Him to minister to us, as we allow others to minister to us in the times of grief, those things can happen for us. Joy can come. And we can be a part of that for one another. 
of helping joy come into somebody's life even though they have been through difficult times. We see that happening. We see that happen in the book of Ruth. Don't call me don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. And then we get to chapter 4 as she holds that child. And she sees the fulfillment and she's now full and came empty, but now she is full. Just this week I've got a email from my friend up in Denver, Gary Hogue, and he's been reading, he's been, uh, every day he puts out a blog, and he's been reading C.S. Lewis, insights from C.S. Lewis, famous, famous author from the mid-40s and 50s and 60s, Chronicle of Narnia, and all the different books he wrote. And he quotes uh, from a letter, C.S. Lewis, in a letter to his dad, after the death of his wife of 47 years, his, his dad's wife, his mother, died after these 47 years of marriage. And this is what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, real grief is not healed by time. It is false to think that the passing of time will slowly make us forget her, his wife, and take away our pain. We know that. You know that, the grief that you've been through. My friend Gary comments on the article, but he says this, while healing can take place over time, Giving attention to pain is the pathway for finding love. So avoiding or denying grief or pain is not the answer. But we need to make intentional effort here. If you or someone you know has experienced loss, encourage them to move toward the pain. There they will find love. In so doing, you will give them a gift that is precisely what they need most. Embrace the grief and pain. It's there. It's real. But move toward the pain and the one who can help you through that time, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us to come alongside those that go through difficult times, those, those times of just listening. You don't know what to say always. Neither do I. They can't teach you those things in Bible college and seminary. They try. But every situation is different. Those notes that come, those texts of care, those emails, those visits, those meals, those, those things that help a person to journey through the pain. And that's why we offer the Grief Share class. It started back up in September. To be able to help you work through the journey through your grief. From mourning to joy as the subtitle is for it. It is so helpful. And I, I would say everybody needs to go through that class so that you're better prepared to help somebody going through grief. And you're better prepared because grief will knock at your door. It is a part of life. Grief is hard, but the Lord will help. Second thought that I got as we're wrapping up this study this. Relationships are to be valued. Think about all the different relationships here. Just four people, basically. Main characters. But, but relationships are to be valued. The first is this. I got this uh, reading through uh, my wife's study when she studied um, this book in a navigator study. God cares for orphans and widows. <laughs> this book says that God cares for the orphans and the widows. 
It's a theme of the Old Testament, as you know. Naomi was empty, but the story is with her being filled, and she has a child to carry on her family. Uh, you probably know James 1.27. Um, the way I memorize this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father. It's divorce, visit the orphans and widows in their distress. To keep oneself unstained from the world. I think it's how the rest of it goes. James, that really practical book of how to live out the Christ life, says this is pure and undefiled religion. Pure and undefiled before God the Father's is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and their distress. It's a theme, something we need to do. To honor God in that. Those relationships are valued. They're very, very important. I think that this book also tells us that children are a sacred trust from the Lord. Yes, they come from a man and a woman, but they only come because God designs that and says, this is what I want. As I think about relationships that be valued, I wrote these words. We all need a Ruth. And we need to be a Ruth. Faithful. We all need a Ruth in our lives. Someone who's faithful to us. But we all need to be a Ruth to those around us. Faithful to them. We all need a Boaz. And to be a Boaz. Someone who will redeem and rescue us when needed. We need that in our life. And we need to be that to other people that will be the one who will rescue us. We all need an Obed, and to be an Obed, someone who will carry on our legacy. And that doesn't have to be your children. There are lots of ways for you to carry on your legacy outside your family or if you don't have children by mentoring and discipling and helping kids, parents, to follow Jesus Christ. We're all called to do that. We're called to make disciples. And that happens as you get involved in your Sunday school class or in your small groups. It happens as you serve together. It happens when we go to Mexico and we serve together and we build this house September 15 through 18 with Arturo and Lola for Pastor Arturo and his wife Lola at Saddleback Church. It's called that because it has a little sway in it <laughs> when we first built it. You could be a part of that trip. We could use a few more of you to come on that trip and be a part of that. And I guarantee you that these type of relationships will develop because you're serving together shoulder to shoulder, face to face, helping one another out and being a part of what God wants to do. When we finally get the opportunity to put up the walls out here, concrete's poured now if you haven't noticed. That's a great place to come and to develop these relationships because relationships are valuable and they take place when we make time for them and for one another. I am inviting you to Sunday school too, if you didn't get that point, okay? It happens at 9.45, about when I finish, we'll be going to Sunday school. I'll be done before that. Number three, let goodness and kindness characterize your life. The word hesed, the Hebrew word hesed is found three times in this book. 118, may the Lord deal kindly with you. It's the Hebrew word hesed. 
as you have dealt with the dead in me. In chapter 2, verse 20, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, whose chesed, has not forsaken the living or the dead. 3.10, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness, chesed, greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Again, another theme that goes through this book. Three times that word is used very specifically to tell the part of the story. Maybe you've heard this verse before. Surely, S-U-R-E-L-Y, not S-H-I-R-L-E-Y. Surely what? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mercy, chesed, his loving kindness, his grace toward us. I read an article, so I was looking up to do a little study on that. There's a really fun article by a pastor named Andrew Kerr. It's called, the title of it is called Hounded by Chesed. And he said, as he thinks about that verse, Psalm 23, 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my... He says, he says really, the sense is that it's pursuing you. Not just following you. It's pursuing you. And he said, some have equated that verse as two sheepdogs kind of rounding up the sheep goodness and mercy. They're rounding up the sheep. He said, but, but maybe it's even better to say that it's a bloodhound pursuing what it's pursuing, a fox or a rabbit or whatever it's pursuing. He said, but maybe it's even better. Maybe it's even better if we might picture a Labrador or a golden retriever. And that golden retriever, what do they do, man? When they come up to us, they want to lick your face. They want to lick your hand. That's a good picture, wasn't it? He said, maybe that's how we take that verse. That surely goodness and mercy is, is running toward us, is pursuing us, God's loving kindness toward us. And he, he put it this way. He said, when these dogs overtake us, they practically lick us to death with divine love so that there is no place, no time, or no circumstance in life of the true believers when saints are out of sight or beyond reach of the goodness and mercy of God. Man, I thought that was good. There's no time, no place, no circumstance that you are out of the goodness and mercy of God pursuing you and seeking you and coming and wrapping its arms around you, licking your face, however you want to picture it. There is no time that that is not happening. It was happening for Ruth, or for Naomi, when she came back and said, call me Mara. God was doing his work. His goodness and mercy were still pursuing her. Number four. We all need the kinsman redeemer. The, capitalized, the kinsman redeemer. The word redemption, redeemer, redeem, is 19 times in this book. <laughs> he is trying to make a point. This redemption is really, really important. Boaz is Ruth's redeemer. Obed is Naomi's redeemer because through him she will have descendants and he will support her if, if Boaz dies. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. 
Boaz is a picture of that, a type of that, of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Here's a picture of what redemption is, a description. It's to buy back or to pay off, to satisfy a debt. The action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil is another definition. To free from captivity by payment of ransom. And I love that verse that they have up there, Isaiah 44, 22. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. When you read the book of Isaiah, maybe you're going through your one-year Bible now, you'll be probably in that place right around now, as I am. You're going to see that word redeem a lot, chapters 40 through the end of the, in the end of the book. That word is found a lot there. Redemption. Redemption. To redeem means to buy back or to pay off, to satisfy a debt. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He paid our debt. He didn't know anything. We did. And we couldn't pay that debt, but he did for us. And he became, he was the redeemer. He bought us out of the slave market of sin. He paid the price for us. That if we'll just believe, we'll just say yes to him, we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the redeemer. I was thinking of some of the songs that mention redemption. Keith Green, there is a redeemer. Jesus Christ the Lord. I was thinking of redeemed, how I love to, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I know that my Redeemer lives since I have been redeemed. Big Daddy Weave has that song called, I am redeemed and I've been set free. I'm not who I used to be. Wonder why? wonder why they had a lot of songs about redemption. Because <laughs> it's like a really important theological concept in Scripture. What Jesus Christ has done for us as the kinsman redeemer. What about this song? Because how many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Only one did that. Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. If you don't know him today, invite him to be a part of your life. He paid the debt for us on the cross and he took our sins upon himself so that we could believe, we could say yes to him. We could invite him to be a part of our life and say, I want you, the redeemer, to be a part of my life. Because that's what he's done for you and for me. My last thought is this. God is the great guider. We've seen as we went through, even last week, as we went through Ruth chapter 4, we saw all the different places where God just happened to make something happen. They just happened to see this happen. This is what God did behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, above the scenes. He did all these things for us. And I know this, you've experienced the guiding hand of the Lord, the guiding hand of grace of the Lord in your life. Even this last week, you think about the week, you would see God's guiding hand in your life. As he did things, he arranged things for you to put things in place in order for you. He continues to do that. You know what? He did that in salvation for you. John 6, says, no one comes to the Father unless they're drawn by Jesus. Or they're drawn by the Father. No one comes to Jesus unless they've been drawn. 
The Father does that work. When you came to Him, it wasn't all of a sudden you woke up one day and go, Oh, I want Jesus. Yeah, VBS day, I want Jesus. No, God had been orchestrating these events in your life so that you would come to that point of belief. Because you're not coming to Him unless He draws you to Himself. It does not happen. He does the work to bring you to salvation. But He also continues the work as you live out. And it's our responsibility and privilege to identify and join Him in His work. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's His work inside, doing His work, encouraging us, strengthening us, helping us, convicting us, showing the way to go with His gracious hand before us. And how does He do that? Does it in the Word. Does it in the Word. Let's see. Genesis chapter 35 this week. Right? You'll be reading that chapter. Because there's something there that you're going to discover and that you're going to discover that maybe Don hasn't discovered. And you're going to go, God, that was really cool of you to show me so I can tell Don what I discovered. Because God wants to share it with you. God also is, uses His little voice of the Holy Spirit inside you. And He says, this is the way to go. Walk in it. He shares this. No, don't go that way. Yeah, go that way. Uh-huh. Good job. Good job. He also uses other believers in our lives. Better place to talk about Sunday school or small groups, I guess. Huh? He uses other believers to help us, to give us guidance. He can use circumstances too, of course. He can open doors and he can close doors. But God is the great guider. Now the question is, will you make room in your heart? Will you make room in your heart for him? Come up to you. It's beautiful, beautiful words. So every time I sing that song or listen to it as I was this week, it just just kind of brings tears to my eyes. That's why he came. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because he had room for us in his heart. And he's saying, Now I've come you make room in your heart for me. No matter what you're going through, open your heart to him. Naomi had to. Ruth had to. She had her own gods. She had her own people. And she said, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people room in her heart.